Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. Over the last few episodes, we have been diving into how we're experimenting with AI and what we think the future holds for customer service and ChatGBT. On today's episode, we're joined by some of the people who have actually been doing applied design work with ChatGBT and large language models to build real products that solve real issues for customers. They are Emmett Connolly, Intercom's VP of Product Design, Molly Mahar, Staff Product Designer on our Machine Learning Team, and Gustav Cyrillus, a Senior Principal Product Designer. Emmett, Molly, and Gustavs, from their product designer's point of view, reveal what we've been learning about the future of AI-powered interfaces and how ChatGBT and large language models will shape product design in the years to come. Let's head over to Studio, where Emmett leads the conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast. I'm very excited today to be joined here by Molly and Gustavs from the Intercom product design team. Since the launch of ChatGPT just a few weeks ago, there has been a lot of heated discussion, a lot of idle random speculation, a lot of armchair quarterbacking and, uh, about what it all means. Um, most of it, I would say, from people who have not actually worked directly with the technology at all, which is why I'm very excited to talk to Molly and Gustavs today, because Molly and Gustavs are two of the, I would imagine, fairly teeny tiny minority of the entire world who have actually done real applied product design work with ChatGPT and related technologies. So I mean, like actually using it to integrate with products, solve real product issues for customers with real products that are operating at scale. So Molly and Gustavs, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, maybe you'd like to introduce yourselves very briefly. Molly, do you uh, want to sure. go first? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm Molly Mahar. I'm a staff designer here at Intercon. Uh, fairly new, and uh, I'm embedded with the the machine learning team. So I'm embedded actually with a team of engineers, um, and we do a lot of prototyping. Hey, uh, I'm Gustavs. Uh, I'm a principal product designer, and I've been here for a bit longer than Molly, uh, and have been sort of all over the place, but at the moment working on the growth team. So today we're going to talk about AI and large language models like ChatGPT, um, but specifically we're going to talk about what they mean for design, what they mean for designers, we will talk a bit about what new opportunities are available to designers specifically with this new technology. Maybe what it's been like for you that, or what, what's been different about working with AI versus traditional products. Um, some of the challenges that you've encountered as you've started to design these AI powered features. And we might even get into some ill-advised prediction making at some point as well. Um, so maybe let's start with the basics. Um, Molly, what, what was your first reaction when ChatGPT kind of landed on the scene and made quite a big splash just a few weeks ago? You're someone who's been working with AI and, and ML systems for quite a while before that. What was your reaction to, to ChatGPT? Um, well, first I kind of got bombarded by a number of screenshots on uh, Slack and started just kind of seeing them come in from people all around the company and on Twitter and everything. Um, and it, it actually took me a couple hours to go and try it out myself. Um, and so I tried it out myself and I was like, this is, this is very cool. And this is also very smart. Um, 
large language models have been around for a while, um, but now they've actually just put a UI on their API. And so more people everywhere are able to really use them without having to uh, you know, be a developer or anything, which I think is, is pretty awesome and shows just how excited people were about them. Um, and so, you know, I started playing with it and like, this is really powerful. Like you can ask it a lot of questions. You can follow up like this feels really amazing. It feels like somewhat of a conversation. And then we started as a team digging into it to try to stress test it. Um, and I kind of felt like, okay, now I'm starting to see the hype, right? Um, it, it reminded me of, um, uh, like behavioral economics in uh, college and like the Dunning-Kruger effect where it's like you're incompetent but overconfident you don't know it and it felt like that sometimes where you know this this chat GPT is like so much better at bullshitting than like I am I'm amazed at it <laughs> um and so kind of went through like a wave of feelings about it um should I I, I wonder if it would be useful to just give like a quick kind of overview of LLMs? I think so, because wait, wait. I realized even in the <laughs> intro, I was saying ChatGPT, I think it's very understandable, but I think for a lot of people, maybe there's this association with ChatGPT as the AI that everybody is talking about. So yeah, Molly, would you mind explaining what, in, in let's say layperson's terms, what, what ChatGPT is and how that relates to other terms like large language models that folks might've heard about? Yeah, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Um, so like large language models, LLMs, as they're called for short, are like um, models that are just trained on a huge corpus of text, um, you know, public text from everywhere, like books, internet, um, multimodal uh, sources, I think sometimes, uh, like billions and billions and billions of um, uh, uh, pieces of data inside. And um, they're often trained with like human feedback along the way, right? And I think that um, leads to part of why you can have this conversation, for instance, with ChatGPT, because you can give it feedback and it'll actually like respond to that and change its responses. Um, but LLMs have been around for a while, um, getting better, faster and faster, right? I think the amazing thing about ChatGPT was like, oh, look, as a layperson, I can actually use it. Uh, and second, it's actually really, really good. Um, and so ChatGPT is like the front end, basically, uh, and, and I'm simplifying this a bit, but it's it's a front end for like um, a large language model API that OpenAI has in the background, and they have a number of these. And there's a lot of other companies also that have large language models. Um, Google's working on like Lambda, um, there's other companies, like um, a lot of companies have these. Um, and so, you know, we might say ChatGPT here today, but, um, really referring to like this technology in in general um we're actually working with like the apis behind it not actually with chat gpt which um is only available through the ui right now yeah and i th think one of the things that's interesting about chat gpt is that in some ways it's not that new from a technical point of view so chat gpt is like an app that's built using GPT 3.5, which is built by a company called OpenAI, right? But GPT 3.5 has been around for a while, like several months, right, Molly? So I'm, I'm curious, maybe Gustav's like, why do you think, maybe similar question to you, what was your reaction? But why do you think there's a different reaction to what we're seeing with ChatGPT versus, 
you know, again, the underlying tech, tech which was which was available for some time. Yeah, I think the the big difference is that the the, the presentation of it it being a conversation where you can ask follow up questions, you can kind of go deeper versus before it was just kind of hey like generate me this I don't know poem about whatever, uh, and, yeah. and now you could have a back and forth conversation, which is way more. Uh, kind of, that's how humans interact with each other. So it's way more familiar than sort of giving it a one-off prompt. And so w when I was playing around with uh, ChatGPT, when it just came out, it really felt like magic. Uh, it was you know, really kind of hard to believe that this exists. And I just kept playing around with it, talking about different topics. And um, it's it's it felt kind of like having an on-demand personal tutor that kind of knows everything about everything, uh, which is crazy. And it talked about all sorts of things about technology, history, psychology, uh, even like comedy. Uh, turns out it's really good at coming up with stand-up comedy if you give it a good prompt. And uh, yeah, it was uh, actually really really fun to do that as well. Okay, so you've both spent several weeks working with this now. We all had that initial, like very impressive initial reaction, but having spent a few weeks trying to apply this to real customer problems, maybe, you know, wrestling with it, directly applying it some somehow, um, does it stand up to the hype? Gustavs? Yeah, so as soon as ChatGPT came out, we were really impressed and, and, and realized that we, we have to better understand what does it mean for our business. Uh, it seemed like it could have a really meaningful impact on the whole customer service industry. So we formed a small working group and ex kind of explored what is ChatGPT good at, what it's bad at, and what it might mean for our business. And after going through that exercise, uh, at least my own, uh, fears and worries and, and, and hype went down a little bit. Uh, it seems like the tech is not quite yet there to take our jobs and automate everything. Uh, turns out it's really good at some things, but not at everything. So it's good at, um, for example, things like summarizing uh, content or, well, just understanding language, editing, and kind of creati creative writing. But it has a major flaw of hallucinations, uh, where it just makes up stuff that sounds very real, but is factually incorrect, which is obviously a big problem for uh, a customer service solution. You don't want to give plausibly sounding, but factually incorrect answers. And so, uh, that, so about the same time, there's lots of interesting things you can apply it for. And, and I think the bigger takeaway is that this technology is evolving really fast. And I think it's really only a matter of time before it can give factually correct answers or say, I don't know. And once that happens, it's going to be really disruptive, I think. Mm. So, so Gustav, what you were saying is it, it will give an answer no matter what. And in some cases, this results in what you what you called hallucinations. M Molly, could you maybe describe because this seems like one big limitation for anyone trying to use this for real. What, what are hallucinations and, and why are they happening in the first place? Yeah, it's, it's a huge problem, right? As Gustav said, but it's, 
it's like it's like the it's like the model wants to please you right so it wants to give you an answer um it wants to give you an answer that it, it thinks you want um and sometimes it has you know a reliable source for that information and sometimes it's just making things up i don't know it feels like a, a child right like why did you do that well I thought, you know, I thought that was what you wanted. Um, and so the hallucination, um, you know, might be pulling from a lot of different sources and say, like, if you ask it a question about intercom, like it doesn't necessarily know anything new. And so it might take pieces of what it knows and then that are accurate and then just like general knowledge from elsewhere and then interpolate that, right? And like kind of in a way try to use common sense, which of course it doesn't have, um, it doesn't really have reasoning capabilities, but using probabilities like, well, probably this might function this way. So I can make up an answer about something about Intercom's API or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, as Gustav said, it's like super plausible. It sounds very confident um, right now. Uh, but Emmett, as you mentioned too, like different models have different they're different companies are focusing on different things. So there are, I think, um, companies that are focusing a little bit more on like, uh, how do we provide, how do we minimize hallucinations, uh, right? Whereas ChatGPT, I think, often focuses a lot on like, how do we have guardrails and, and ethics and like, be clear about what we're, we're like refusing to answer. Yeah. Do, do you think we'll therefore see like, a proliferation of lots and lots of different models and you can choose the one that best suits the kind of trade-off between you know being absolutely correct or, or and, and and hallucinations that that you want or or where will that end or or is this a problem that may just like disappear as the models get more mature uh i i'm i'm not sure that it'll disappear but i think uh, yes there are already a lot of models there's also open source models and then there's also, um, you know, the potential to uh, what we call fine tune kind of on top of, model, of a model. So like the GPT stands for generative pre-trained uh, pre transformer, right? So it generates things, it's pre-trained on a large corpus and transformers like the type of model. Um, different companies, I think, are gonna focus on different things. Um, there are open source models like uh, intercom as like a potential user of these models might be able to, we might fine tune on top and other companies, you know, doing the same to, to get um, kind of more specialized knowledge of uh, your industry or your company. Um, I think also just models will get, the tech will get better at using, at in needing less data to have a great model. And so the models will get smaller and smaller and smaller. And potentially at that point, like it might be a lot more reasonable for um, a smaller company to actually mm. be able to create a model like only on their, their data maybe. Um, and so have it be quite specialized, quite knowledgeable and like very reliable. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk more specifically about design in all of this. You know, clearly GPT and, and AI in general has been a technology story primarily, but I think ChatGPT illustrated something interesting, which is um, that the UI and the UX of all of this is very important. It seems like a big shift towards conversational UIs are potentially on the cards here, for example. Do you think that's true or, or what's the role in, of, of design in shaping what we do with this tech from here, Molly? Um, yeah, I mean, I think 
number one, Intercom is like very well positioned. Uh, you know, our business is about conversation um, and customer service that that people are getting really excited about having conversations with this this tech. Um, but what what we've actually found recently is that like for the moment at least, there's just so much power available in the tech that is actually not directly conversational, but just about conversation and about language, right? Um, like we mentioned, it's really great at summarization and there's a ton of workflows where summarization can really help customer service agents. So we have recently launched a, a beta to some customers and summarization is one of the things that uh, people are finding really, really, really valuable. Um, and, and then we're also, we have added some uh, kind of generative text tools to allow uh, reps to make modifications to their their messages um, if they want to rephrase things, make them like friendlier, make them a little more formal, um, get help clarifying things. Um, also really useful, you know, that's part of the conversation, but it's not kind of directly having a conversation with ChatGPT. Um, and we're also finding it useful for helping generate things like Help Center articles, uh, which was also part of this beta release. So um, a lot of different pieces, um, and I think that's, I think a lot of the power of this is in some of the more hidden applications of it that, that just like aren't so obvious to, to lay people, but that are really time consuming um, or like heavy uh, mental load for um, uh, reps that we can really provide a lot of value with. Mm, yeah, and I think the interesting thing is that sort of it, kind of, there's many ways you can use this, this technology, which is not conversation. and. Uh, through that sort of sidestep some of the problems that we've seen specifically with hallucinations where it's making stuff up that doesn't is not correct um, but like it's really good at, at other things uh, like if it has to reward existing content uh, it's it's really good at that and so it, like, it makes sense to lead with that because it can still deliver clear value but ultimately the end goal uh, would be to completely automate uh, and, and actually give answers. Uh, it's just that the tech is not good enough for that yet. But I think we'll get there. Yeah, and I suspect that's how we'll see things over the course of 2023, because I imagine we'll start to see this like creep its way into lots of different products, probably in relatively simple or most foolproof ways to begin with, right? And then in, in increasingly kind of um, pushing the boat out in terms of the complexity of, of what it can do. I will say that as we have all, I think, approached this opportunity with a combination of like excitement and maybe a little bit of like healthy trepidation as well. The feedback that we've gotten, Molly, you mentioned we have these features that are that are um, um, backed by ChatGPT and we have them in beta at the moment. Like the feedback has been extremely heartening and, and very positive. So definitely the earliest signs we're seeing are like real customers getting real utility from features like being able to summarize a conversation before handing it over to someone else. Like, so you're looking for that intersection of things that the tech is good at and things that there's a relatively, to begin with, like low risk, right? Um, and, and we'll see a lot of those, I think, in the months to come. So that's gonna be exciting. Gustav, you've been thinking about kind of this maybe less at a low level feature level and more like the, the long term view. Um, do you, could you speak to that a little bit? You obviously mentioned Intercom. You know, one of the reasons I think we're here talking about this is we're pro probably pretty well positioned given the nature of our products. 
which is conversational customer service to, to really make the most of this. Um, what, what are the kind of things that you think about when you think more longer term, the product and design opportunities? Yeah, so as I said before, we in, in the very early days of the ChatGPT launch, we did this um, workshop to try to think through the future and specifically think about how would the world look like if we did have a model which didn't have this hallucinations problem and it was able to give uh, good answers or just say, I don't know. And it's been really promising and it has really increased our confidence in a lot of the things we already believed in, but we think are getting accelerated. So things like the, we believe that the majority of support queries will be resolved completely automatically without talking to humans. It's already increasing today with more sort of if this, then that type builders and, and um, with like, like bots uh, and also with our own resolution bot, which has uh, some machine learning capabilities, but not to the same extent as ChatGPT. So it's already on that path, but it's going to get accelerated. And similarly, as a result of that, I think that support orgs will start to shift from being reactive and sort of primarily being in the inbox to primarily being proactive and uh, setting up and training the AI, writing content that the AI can use to resolve conversations. And um, another thing that's been interesting is that we, I think that the, the majority of support will happen in a way that's most natural to humans. So through conversation, uh, like imagine if you had um, kind of someone that you could always talk to that has a personalized answer just for you. That's just the most natural way for humans to interact. Like this sort of search and browse experience that we have today, where you kind of search something on Google and sort of scan and with your eyes and try to quickly find the answers somewhere in the content. It's not that natural uh, for, for humans. Uh, I think there's gonna, still gonna be some versions of that with um, kind of suggestions for content that might be relevant for you before you start a conversation. Um, but then when you interact with that, it could still be conversational. But then the last thing that we came to was that we believe that we'll also need to build a bridge to get there. Uh, for multiple reasons, but I think we'll start by seeing sort of uh, support rep augmentation with things like we talked about of um, like summarization, rephrasing. Later, we'll get into sort of suggestions for replies that support reps can edit and um, kind of improve upon. And then later, get into full automation. Uh, it's going to take some while, both for the tech, but also for the human aspect of, as well to that get used to using more and more automation. Mm. It, you're describing, you know, something where across the very broad surface area of the product, there are lots of different places where this can change how we work, uh, both the, what we call the teammate experience, kind of the admin experience and the end user experience of, of the two sides of the conversation. But you're also describing this kind of, um, as of yet cloudy notion of how we're going to get to this vague future you know we think the tech will get there and it strikes me that's just a very different way of thinking about like approaching design today and almost a profound difference in how we think about like interacting with computers going from something very deterministic 
and felt like very hard edged and true and false ones and zeros to something like way fuzzier. So designers are now looking at working with this material that feels way more like unknowable and, and plastic and less rigid than like crud apps create, right? Update, de delete apps that we might've been used to before. So what have you found? Like, is, is this a, a substantial difference in how designers need to like approach their work? Have you found like certain things difficult or challenging? Will designers have to learn new skills? Like how big of a change is this for the act of, of designing? The fact that the material that we're designing with has this element of unknowability almost baked into it. I mean, I think there's still a lot about our job that's going to stay the, the same, right? Like we're, we're, we're finding, finding problems. Like we're, we're digging around in, in people's workflows. We're finding patterns. Um, I think one big thing is, um, needing to design for like a lot more failure cases in a, in a lot of situations, right? Because there aren't necessarily the guardrails and like when you're having a conversation, it can go off the rails in so many different ways. Um, and so it's kind of the same, um, with a system like this potentially. Um, I think humans as a species are like not great at probabilities, right? Like we look at the weather report and it's like 40% chance of rain. And it's like, we don't really have a great sense of what that, what that means. Right. Yeah, you're um, disappointed if it doesn't rain at that point, right? You were told there'd be rain. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm in the Netherlands. I see like any chance of rain. And I'm like, it will rain. It's just a question of how long, like that's yeah. what the percentages mean for me in the weather app. Right. But, um, but we're not that great at interpreting them. Right. And so I think that that's definitely going to be something as we look at like how confident are these predictions? Cause they're all, predictions, essentially, what word should come next. Um, and so I think we'll, we'll look to get better at that. There's a lot of, um, like, just dealing with how fast this tech moves and changes. Um, I don't think that's going to change. So there's a lot of, um, you know, like, uh, prototyping and reacting and also thinking about, um, like, latency uh from getting some of these like the the latency right now can be quite long designing for that um and yeah just like a lot of unexpected uh results at least right now i think are some of the things that um that i've been noticing yeah and i think over time we'll see more and more new design patterns emerge for how to manage this uncertainty and um uh, just better manage expectations on all, all sides. But at the moment, it's just everyone is experimenting and, and seeing what works. Uh, we're already seeing some patterns emerging, such as kind of, uh, kind of almost small predefined prompts on how to change text. So like expand this, summarize this, make it friendlier. It's a relatively new pattern that start, is starting to emerge. I think we'll see more and more of that, those types of patterns or even this little kind of interact, uh, interaction where if you ask ChatGPT to generate content, it has this sort of slowly moving cursor. Mm. Uh, that's an interesting design pattern as well, which is technically required, but also could work really well to set expectations that, hey, this is AI generating content on the fly. Yeah, so you're saying that kind of 
word by word ticker tape typing effect, which is to be clear, a function of how the technology like makes it up word by word could become synonymous and a visual calling card that anytime you see that it, it becomes clear that it's bot. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the type of maybe maybe that will happen, maybe not, but the, the type of thing that tends to emerge when we see these shifts and, and new technologies emerging. I think it might be interesting to even drill down into into that idea of new design patterns emerging because we, we do see this when new technologies come along. Um, Molly, are there others that you've encountered either at the very low interaction design level or, or at the just high level of how this gets stitched into products? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple other things I think will start showing up more like, um, for instance, when we're looking, when we're trying to develop a feature, we do the engineers dummy um, are doing back testing. Uh, so they're like using past data and making predictions on that and then comparing it to what actually uh, like a, a, a teammate actually said, for instance. So I think um, things like that might we might need to start launching on like not the end user, but like a teammate or admin side where people who are like managing a, a CS org might want to have like what I call a, a dark launch where um, they're able to like watch, like not have things live, but like watch them and get a sense of like, okay, I, I now trust this to go, right? So like varying stages of like dark launch or like draft suggestions, mm -hmm. like kind of different stages of like launching some of these tools. Um, I think that'll be more prominent. Um, I think we might also, and, I, and I'm, I'm curious about this, so I don't know which direction it'll go, but I do think about like, um, points where we might have to just add friction back into the system so that um, we don't get complacency, uh, right? Like when uh, um, airlines like introduced autopilot, right? Like pilots still do certain portions of a flight, even though the autopilot system does most of it because they need to not forget how to fly, right? So like they're doing the landings or other things. Like I think about where in these new systems that might be like very, very, very automated. Are we actually thinking about just like adding some friction back in so that people retain, like we retain the skills um, that we want to have and we, uh, you know, feel valuable also. Mm. And, and clearly that, you know, almost everything has like a, an implicit confidence score for the feature almost built into it that you have to design to as well. I mean, I've seen us having debates of like, is this something that we would, you know, expose to the reps and admins or their customers? And there's a higher threshold for us for exposing stuff to their customers, right? Or even at a, a, a lower level of detail, let's take the example that we talked about where the ability to summarize a long conversation. Do you post that summarization straight into the conversation threads, you know, at the click of a button? Or do you give someone the opportunity to like, um, review it and click approve. And so, you know, let it straight through versus add an approval gate, like you're describing Molly, I think we'll probably see lots of like workflows emerge at least initially. And then the, the question is like, do they just start to fall off as the tech builds greater and greater confidence? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or even just the ability to tell you how confident it is. If the AI could tell you, Hey, this is my answer. And it's, 40% correct, you might present it in sort of a, a, for a, a human to approve before it gets sent. 
if it's 90% confident, you can just go ahead and send it straight away and, and have like a little, hey, this is incorrect button on the end user side. So it really depends uh, on, on how the tech evolves. The design will have to evolve alongside it. Yeah, I sometimes think, God grant me the confidence of a large language model because it will absolutely confidently say a total falsehood and a total truth without like distinguishing between them. And so that's the trust thing. At the moment, there's no like badging. There's nothing that says like, I'm 100% confident in this statement. There's uh, in, in ChatGPT as of yet, at least in some of the other language models, I believe we're starting to start to see sources referenced, which is which seems like a positive step. But yes, I think that will be a whole merry dance um, uh, as we go as well. So we're looking at this change. It seems like there's lots of unknown things, lots of nitty gritty deep design decisions like this to, to get uh, involved in. Let's just like zoom out maybe uh, to the, what does this mega trend that we're seeing mean for, again, for design and product broadly. I think one of the things that's got people so excited about this is um, people who have maybe witnessed or been part of the arrival of big new technologies. And here I'm thinking about things like cloud, you know, or massively shifting to web and, and, and mobile as big enabling technologies that led to this whole new world of like design patterns, this whole new world of products that were not available before. With the cloud, we saw, you know, all sorts of everything that we're, we're used to that isn't like desktop computing anymore, but forms and feeds and likes and also visual trends, right? All of the, uh, the, the visual transformation that the web went through. You could say a lot of the same for mobile. Mobile heralded, you know, I guess multi-touch was the enabling technology, but everything from feeds to, to hamburger menus and pull to refresh and swipe to delete all of these things that we, we consider kind of part of a designer's toolkit. And, and I would say there also the visual side of things was greatly influenced that the, the whole trend through skeuomorphism and out the other end was, was, was influenced that massive companies were built on top of these trends. Right. And so, um, maybe we're getting dangerously close to prediction time, but, um, what do you think, or what is your early experience working with this? Does it tell you anything about like what types of products are going to win or lose? What, what new things that we might see emerging here that weren't even possible before? Yeah, I think over time, I think most businesses will be using these uh, publicly available large language models instead of creating their own, but to differentiate from one another, they might build layers on top of that with specialized knowledge. So for example, you might have your kind of business specific data. So maybe for a support tool, it could be you know, answers to specific questions about your product uh, and, and kind of your own support reps giving specific answers as opposed to generalized knowledge, or maybe really deep knowledge on a particular field such as law or tax or whatever else. And uh, so the businesses that's, that are going to win, I think, are going to be ones that have some sort of proprietary data and that have uh, a flywheel effect to continuously improve that data and gather more data. The other thing that I think is going to be interesting is seeing how the big players like Google, Apple, Microsoft, how do they, what do they do, what do they do with this technology and how do they integrate it into the OS level? 
because I think that could have a really huge impact on what kind of niches are available for other businesses. Mm. It's also a great point about, I mean, you started off saying, um, most people are going to kind of integrate these large language models in a certain way. I, I think the businesses that don't manage to do what you were saying there and actually find some kind of defensive moat will find themselves like basically a thin wrapper over G, GPT that, that doesn't really do a lot else. So, so I fully agree with you there that that will be, that will be a critical thing. And we will probably see lots of, you know, if you think about a new platform is not a new platform per se, but like, something like the app store, mobile app stores, with lots of toys and flashlights and things like this in the early days. And then gradually it shakes out into, no, you have like big new enabling things like um, Uber now exists where it couldn't have before if we didn't have this model. And um, Instagram now exists and mapping now exists and so on. Um, Molly, any, anything that you would add there based on your experience? Yeah, I'm... I'm not totally sure that everyone will be using like the public LLMs. I guess I have a small fear that like they'll either be too expensive um, for a lot of companies or, uh, you know, to make their business model work or that some of the large companies might like keep them, keep them private. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if it'll be like everyone will be using public ones or if people will move more toward like open source and be able to put like their fine tuned layer on top. Um, I do, I agree about the, the data moats, I think a lot um, that, you know, for instance, in Intercom, we have a lot of conversational data. And so we're able to do things with that, that like um, Apple can't necessarily do on an OS level. And so that provides us um, some value. I, I think the products that'll be successful are, you know, going to be the ones that, as you said, aren't just a commodity layer on top, but like deeply understand like a problem or workflow um, and can integrate that with their data mode. So I don't think that that part of successful products um, will, will change. Right? Mm. You also touched on a couple of things that at least for the time being are going to be important around the limitations. Like it is slow, right? It takes, a, I mean, slow, it takes seconds um, to return a response. And there are going to be some products or spaces that just means it's unsuitable for that straight away. It's also exp like expensive in terms of compute power and therefore expensive in terms of money. Um, you probably know more than me about this, but like, you know, every request costs a couple of cents or whatever. OpenAI are losing millions a day uh, to run GPT, but you know, it's probably worth it from a PR point of view or, or whatever research data they're garnering from that usage as well. But it also means that, you know, this is not going to be free and unmetered. And so there, at least for the time being, while those things and, you know, technology has a very good um, habit of getting faster and cheaper over time. And, and this potentially could happen rapidly here. But for the moment, there are certain limitations like that that also kind of restrict the application. Maybe we'll see it less in real time apps. Maybe we'll see it less in um, in. B2C apps where like the scale and cost of running uh, uh, those kind of queries could, could be massive. And so it's going to be interesting to, to see how things emerge there as well. So I'm curious to get go kind of a level deeper in terms of the design conversation and actually think about the generative design, uh, the, these generative systems rather and how we're going to act, uh, interact with them you know we're alluding to all the new taps and swipes and things that you can do when a new 
a new platform comes along. This is where we will inevitably, you know, have to uh, uh, tiptoe our way into the world of prediction. Um, and so we can all look back at this in a year or two's time and laugh at how wrong we are. But, you know, I think there's an interesting sense that maybe let's say this uh, is, is, is shifting towards more of a text based, almost command line based way of interacting. Another kind of micro trend in product has been this command K palette that you can pop up by hitting a shortcut and just typing in the action that you want to take. We see the, that in lots of products now, just contributing to this general sense of a shift towards like text as a, a, a natural language, I suppose, as a direct way of interfacing on the other hand. You know, if you look at previous um, trends and especially the journey that we went through from the command line interface, which kind of looks at of the earliest personal computers, we ended up building like very detailed graphical user interfaces on top of that. And so I wonder if you would care to speculate as to where you see this going. Does this does this uh, augur a shift towards more like command line interfaces for the 21st century? Is that like a very temporary command line thing we have here before we figure out what a, a graphical user interface layer on these things looks like? Is it just too damn early to say? I'm gonna toss it to Gustav first. There's a, there's a Gustav's question. Well, I, I think it's, I think we'll have all of those. Uh, I don't think we have to pick one way for interacting with AI. It's a very broad capability that can be applied in different ways for different use cases. So for example, if, um, if you're looking for an answer, I think that conversation will be the primary way for getting an answer. But if we're talking about uh, workflow augmentation with AI, I think we'll see graphical interfaces with like predefined actions for AI to take, like same as we're seeing today with like summarize, rephrase, the whole um, sort of wave of, uh, kind of co-pilot for, for X. Um, uh, define, define what you mean by workflow augmentation a bit more, Gustav. Uh, I know what you mean, but for the benefit of our listeners, maybe. So with workflow automation, I mean, uh, using AI to improve how you do your work today already. So for example, for customer support, it's the kind of when you're writing replies to customers using AI to improve those replies. So again, to maybe expand upon a point or to summarize the conversation up until the point it got there, you could have similar tools for other software as well. Although we're yet to see them, I think, uh, but I think there could be graphical interfaces for those types of uh, workflow augmentation. I think we'll, I'm terrible at predictions, but like, I think we might have kind of a proliferation of, um, Emmett, as you said, this, like the command K interface or like the different options of what you can do. I think one of the challenges with this tech is like discoverability of what it can do, right? You can type anything into this, into this prompt, right? Uh, write me a Shakespearean poem, like a pirate or something. Right. Um, how do you turn that into a, into a GUI necessarily? Mm -hmm. So I think like, we'll be putting some guardrails, um, but I think probably, you know, go broad and then might, you know, and then kind of see things, um, 
narrow down a bit as like uh, things get more common and useful and then eventually maybe be able to go to more of a text-based or conversational-based or like wide open kind of interface again um, once we kind of have a sense of like what this tech can do. Um, I'm also, I'll th throw out a like a farther thing, but like as we get used to like talking to our systems and I say talking, like maybe it's voice uh, and then, you know, text to speech to do this, maybe it's just typing, but um, I'm, I'm also like excited about the potential for like neural interfaces because why talk about it if I can just think it? Um, and I know that's like a ways off uh, for sure. But like uh, when I was at Berkeley, some of my colleagues are working on that. And I was just like, this would be really cool. Um, you know, there's a lot of situations where you don't want to talk and you don't want to type and this just like opens things up. So like maybe farther in the future, because at that point we'll have, we'll have like integrated systems that can take um, you know, non-GUI instructions um, and translate them into actions, right? We're, we're seeing that already with um, some of these systems that can take uh, natural language queries and instructions and like turn them into actions on your computer. Um, and, and, and the fact is that like some of these LLMs are also really good at like generating code and doing things like that, like um, GitHub Copilot and others. And so there's just like a lot of uh, potential there, I think. Um, yeah, yeah I, I suspect um, text manipulation is going to have a great year in software because <laughs> there's so much like immediate possibility here. And, and I see it even playing with our, our own early stuff ourselves and, and other products like it obviously feels very natural to be able to um, manipulate text right highlight a piece of text and say like make make this friendlier almost feels like yeah i mean that belongs right there in the in in the in the tool palette alongside bold and italic it's just a way of of manipulating the existing text then then there's lots of ways of taking that further and that's really generation and code generation and and, and the things that i think you were describing as well i have to say i personally found the experience of working with image generators to be quite different. The results we've all, and again, you see lots of this stuff, like a lot of our experience, I think of, of these systems also is seeing the results scroll by like screenshots of chat GPT or, or screenshots of something that Dali or mid journey or stable diffusion created the creation process re of the image generators really feels clunky to me currently. And like something that will likely be, um, gooified, like have a much more ta tactile, at least on screen interface, having to just like stuff the prompt with, you know, um, short F stop, uh, uh, trending on DeviantArt to try and actually get it to like create the output. So you want is so clearly a hack. And I think there are like lots of dimensions of different styles that you want to go through that, that are, would be way more served better served by like knobs and dials and sliders of some sort than than guessing what these incantations are. So I guess my prediction that I'll go to the map on is um, I think we'll see prompt engineering as it exists today, at least be replaced by something like hopefully, hopefully much better. But then it's harder to say just to finish the thought like video and audio. They're very different because you have to sit down for a long time and review the results. You can't like eyeball you can eyeball a hundred images or skim read some text, but 
Um, I honestly have have fewer opinions about that because I've been able to like sink less time into it. But I guess it gets back to what you were ultimately saying, Gustavs, which is maybe not a satisfying answer, but it's going to depend massively. And I think it'll depend a lot on what what's the thing I'm in manipulating. And we might have very different UIs for that, depending. Yeah, but at the same time, I think there's going to be kind of new, interesting applications of giving natural language instructions. Like for example, one thing that we found interesting when we did our initial exploration was that the the way you could train AI could be very, very similar or practically the same as if the AI was a support agent and you would give them feedback about either your like your policy on how to interact with customers or what tone of voice to use, or even when you're giving feedback on individual conversations. You could just give those in plain text because it understands natural language and the context. And so uh, I think we'll see that as well. And, and there's something interesting about the AI being kind of like a, a super powered colleague that can also use the tools that you have um, and, and giving them plain text feedback to help improve them. Yeah, which Molly, I think touched on like what, what happens when these things can't just spit out text, but can take actions as well, for example, right? And that's probably a whole additional um, uh, level of what, what they're capable of. Yeah, and I think yeah, I we'll think... get there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I was gonna say, then we get to the kind of the dream that I feel like um, Fergal, for those of you who like listen to some earlier podcasts, um, he's the director of ML says that like his ideal right for an ml system is like it should be like a very it should be like an intelligent colleague sitting next to you that you can give instruction to right and it's going to actually execute it well um that's that's kind of the dream and, and so as gustav said like being able to give natural language feedback is just like this sea change i think in how we can manage it yeah i wonder even how much that will how much of a range there'll be there? Because what you're saying there, Molly, reminds me of <clears throat> there was a, a an agency called Berg uh, in London a few years back, and and they did lots of experiments with with earlier iterations of AI. But one of their principles was be as smart as a puppy because they didn't want the AI to feel threatening or like something that that it could in any way kind of overwhelm or do things that you thought were like way out of the bounds. And so that was almost their principle on keeping like drawing boundaries around it and maybe that you know um i don't like carving out designers as the finger wagging like you can't do that type of, uh, uh, but maybe setting those safe boundaries is an important role for designers to play as well uh, and argue for i think there's a role for those boundaries but i'd argue that like do you really want to work next to like a? I mean yes i do want to work next to a puppy but like do you want to work next to someone with the intelligence of a puppy like i think i think where the role of of, of designers are is like, how do we make this like intelligent could potentially be threatening colleague, like your teammate, who mm -hmm. is like on your team, like making you better, right? Like a really great whiteboarding session and brainstorming session where you're just like riffing off each other. Like, how do we get to, to that? I think that's where we can really add this magic is like, uh, making the work day better, right? Augmenting workflows that way, but just like making AI an actual teammate for people. Mm -hmm. And we we probably going to be this tension playing out in self-driving cars a tiny bit where um, 
you know, which is probably the most advanced application currently of AI, even though it's not like at broad adoption level, but the tension of these levels of self-drivingness and the, the increasing risk as you go through those levels, pr probably um, a version of that applies to, to a lot of these things, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we already mentioned, right, around like, what, you know, is, is there like, is it a suggestion? Is there review? Is there approval? Like, that's just our version of the, the five levels of autonomous vehicles. Right? Another thing that's interesting, I think, is that over time, as AI gets better and able to not just give answers, but also perform actions on your behalf, similar to how a colleague might, it's going to be an interesting design challenge to figure out a way to make it feel as kind of someone sitting next to you and helping you as opposed to like a hacker hijacking your computer and clicking around things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can make it work with design, it's going to feel magical or it could be crazy scary. So it's going to be an interesting design challenge. Mm. And, and it's possible that the conversational route is the best way to do that. And, you know, to the degree to which it's framed as a person that's friendly and conversational versus, you know, the system that you interact with at a, at a distance um, will also be interesting to see. We obviously had, um, I guess, what in retrospect you could think of as like a bot hype cycle a couple of years ago. And actually intercom was quite actively involved in you know experimenting and finding out what we could do and, and of course we have products that 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 took advantage of that that we mentioned already things like resolution bot and custom bots um but of course we also found that there's a bunch during that hype cycle that there's a whole bunch of applications that are not good for conversational UI at all. So there was like a weather bot and you're like, actually, I don't need a bot to ask what the weather is. Like I have an app or a web page or whatever, that's fine for that. So we'll just inevitably see a lot of that happen here as well. Probably like an over application of conversational UI. Um, but then, then, uh, probably the, the truly useful use cases coming to the fore, similar to what we did last time, we, we kind of looked at this stuff. I, I will say, you know, one additional thing I'll add that, that makes me quite bullish on the conversational thing is, I think this is a problem that we've been working on for a long time. The Turing test is not new, you know, but aside from that, um, I worked at Google several years ago. It was like, there was a massive amount of work in search um, and a massive amount of pride in getting it to be able to answer a question like how tall is the Eiffel Tower or something like that. But something that just seems like absolutely um, super basic in comparison to, to what we now have available to us, as do the like voice assistants like Siri suddenly you were like woke up one morning in late November to, to be completely uh, obsolete almost. Um, and so the speed at which the systems get better will, will really like drive a large part of this as well. And I think one of the interesting and new things again for designers is we are, if you'll pardon the pun, kind of co-pilots or we're along for the ride because to a huge degree and, and a greater degree than, than us working with web technologies or whatever in the past, where the technology goes from here is going to dictate things as much as our, you know, direct tutorial authorial vision as designers and so how do we how do we dance with it is going to be an interesting thing for for product makers to figure out as well 
Maybe one last dimension that I think about this in terms of design specifically is like the tools that we actually use and, you know, the fact that they have the potential to change dramatically. Will the nature of the production work, the ideation work that we do change a lot? Will we have to learn new skills like prompt engineering or, or, or no? Like Gustav's any, any high level thoughts on what this means for the changing nature of actually doing design? Yeah, well, in terms of prompt engineering specifically, I, I think over time we'll see an emergence of best practices for how to do that, the same way as we have them for any other technology. Uh, and, and obviously they'll evolve and get better over time, but I don't think it's going to be a key differentiator that is going to fundamentally shape your business. Uh, but and, and it's difficult to tell how the, the role of designer will change, and I think it depends on the time frame that you have. In the short term, I think it's going to be really important for designers to uh, really lean into this and, and just play around and tinker with these language models and see how you can apply them to your product, see how other businesses are applying it to theirs, try to find patterns and um, kind of interesting ways of doing new things. Um, and, and I think we'll see a lot of that over the next year or so. But over the more long term, it's it's way more difficult to tell what the impact is going to be on on designers and the whole industry. So as the AI gets better and not just augmenting humans, but also doing full automation of not just writing but performing tasks, I think that can fundamentally disrupt a lot of uh, products and industries and even the role that designers play in shaping those products. So I guess we'll see uh, lots of open questions and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think one of the nice things for me, at least of doing what we do is that occasionally technology like gifts you a whole new kind of avenue that you can pursue. Um, this definitely feels like it's a, a thing that is going to substantially alter the landscape that we work in. Um, create a ton of new challenges and, and opportunities for designers. Certainly for us at Intercom, uh, it's very exciting to already be well along the way of uh, and on that path and, and fully committed to it. So it's going to be an interesting year for uh, AI and designing with AI, no doubt. So I'm looking forward to see where we get to it. Maybe we can leave it at that. Um, Molly, thank you very much. Gustavs, thanks a million. It was great chatting with you and learning from your experience, your early experience working with this tech. Um, maybe we'll do it again when we're all older and wiser. Uh, but for now, thanks very much. Thank you.